Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 900 with Matt Swift. Everything that we're doing is about let's fix problems as fast as humanly possible. And that's got to start at the partnership, number one. And then that just goes down through the organization. It's something that we're not great at everywhere by any means, but where it's executed well, we dominate because we're fixing problems faster than anybody can present them. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. Today's episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. With Margin Edge, you can track food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. And who likes data entry? No one. So you'll be thrilled to hear that there's no more data entry with Margin Edge. They will save your team hours and paperwork by automating your invoice processing with line item detail. Don't worry about tech integration either because Margin Edge allows you to seamlessly connect your POS and accounting systems and get a daily P&L. And on top of all of this, Margin Edge enables you to digitally manage your inventory and recipes. Plus, you can compare actual costs versus theoretical costs. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo. And when you use that link, you can try Margin Edge for free for 30 days. No contract, no setup fee. Plus, you'll get free unlimited training and support. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering, and this is because Chow Now helps their restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. With Chow Now, take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site, and there are no setup fees or monthly payments. And what I really love about Chow Now is that you get to own your customer data. This is something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And when you schedule a demo, don't forget to ask about leveling up with Chow Now Direct, Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up today at chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, founder of Big Grove Brewery, Matt Swift. My man, Matt, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm feeling unstoppable. Let's go. Yeah, man. Uh, Let's fire it up. I'm feeling unstoppable. We We just wrapped up with your partner, Ben Smart. 
killed it. You got some big shoes to film in or a big show to follow. Uh, he was a great guest. Um, he had a lot of great things to say about you. I won't say what he said yet, but uh, we're going to get into it, man. Uh, before we dive into your side of the story, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Well, my mom uh, was my mentor and pushed me into the business. And her famous thing that she always said is not preparing, is preparing to fail. Mm. And uh, those, those are wise words and have proved, uh, proved to be very effective in, uh, in the restaurant business. Why does that resonate with you? I mean, get into it. I mean, it seems like a pretty obvious statement, but yeah. why does that really resonate with you? Well, I think a lot of the statements about business and, and leadership are going to be pretty obvious. I think this one just... It just resonates for me because my mom said it, number one. Yeah. And I think just it just re- it just backs into the idea that you always have to be ready to go. And if you're not thinking about it, you're not planning it out, and you're just showing up willy-nilly, it's going to be – it's not going to probably go as well as you think it should. So yeah. it's just trying to set the stage. Awesome. Mate. Great way to get this thing started. So in my research, I saw that your first restaurant is Blackstone. You opened back in 2007. But what was going on before then? Like when did you say, this is my path, I want to be a restaurant owner, this is my career? Well, I think, man, that was an evolution. Uh, I'm the typical restaurant story. My mom uh, owned a restaurant called Sluggers that was in Coralville, which is just a town right next to Iowa City. And uh, I did the, you know, to everything in the restaurant. So from uh, cleaning grease traps to washing dishes to bussing tables to serving, bartending, shift managing, managing, and general managing. And uh, I was at school going to Iowa, and I was probably screwing around a little too much and then ended up jumping into the restaurant. Do you remember your first semester GPA? I don't. Mine I was a 1.16 if it makes you feel any better. I think I'm probably <laughs> a little above that, but not much. So I, we're in the same boat. I think I was better at the 12 ounce curls than I yeah, was. At the, I did graduate yeah. with a 3.3. So I made a correction nice. real fast. It was either that or I was kicked out. So I yeah, I had that conversation. Sure. So I was in the similar boat. My, <laughs> my mom uh, offered to let me jump into the restaurant with her more full time. And we did that. And we ended up being pretty good at it, and it, but it was, it was in its infancy. We didn't ever have plans of scaling or anything like that. It was just, hey, I can do this for you. She was looking for a career change at that time. She was jumping into real estate and so jumped into the business and went from there. Beautiful. Uh, so at this point, like, wh- at what point did you say, you know, this is really what I want to do? Because you graduate from college. Uh, what year is it when you, when you finish college? Well, I didn't finish. You didn't finish. Yeah, I jumped okay. in the business. <laughs> yeah. the business. Okay, so when was but that? It would have been 2002, 2003. 2002, 2003. Yeah. So that's only like three or four years before you open your own solo project, right? Yeah. So when did you start living intentionally to say, I'm going to open a restaurant? I think it was just, it just became the next step. Um, we knew we had uh, an opportunity on the east side of Iowa City. There was no, there were no, literally no restaurants. Okay. Um, and my mom had uh, located this, uh, this development and it made sense. And she, she knew more about the town than I did, and she was pushing us to it. And then we, I was very lucky to partner with Brian Flynn and Eric Shoemaker. And we ended up jumping in and opening a restaurant called Blackstone. And it's a kind of a contemporary American restaurant that uh, it, was, it was kind of ahead of its time a little bit. The food was a little bit more contemporary. And then I guess to answer your question, everybody loved it. And it just started getting busier, and I was like, "We're doing good," and it felt good. And then, uh, and then a series of other things happened, and we can go into that. But our original restaurant flooded in 2008 mm-hmm. in the Great Flood, and it was kind of a disaster for my family. My mom specifically uh, wanted to basically check out of the restaurant business at that point. Um, you know, the whole kit and caboodle lost everything, getting sued by the landlord for not reopening, and so she send, ended up saying, "Hey, I just want to take a break." And then that ended up becoming. Red's Ale House, which is basically Sluggers reincarnated. Okay. And that's that's where everything really started to click. Um, and that's where we learned 
about beer. And that's where we became uh, kind of the leader in that department as well. Got it. So let's let's kind of dial back because uh, usually I like to, to follow the journey of a restaurant sure. before they open their first restaurant. But you graduate or you, you, you drop out. Uh, three years goes by. You open your first place. You're, you're working with your mom. So it sounds like a lot of your evolution, a lot of who you are as a restaurateur stems from the mentorship of your mom. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I think so. So let's let's learn more about who your mom is. OK. Uh, tell me more about your mom other than the fact that she gave you this badass quote, not preparing is preparing to, to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Her name's Faye. Um, and she's an awesome person. She is kind of a trailblazer. Uh, she was opening her restaurant, uh, sluggers and that was in 1988. So a female opening a restaurant solo in 88 was a pretty unheard of practice. Uh, she opened a sports bar, which was one of the first in the area. Certainly the first in Corville featured 14 TVs, which was again, not normal then. Uh, and she, she had the, all the troubles that you can think of as a, in, in, in that type of position from the financing to the execution to people taking her serious. And then she ended up knocking out of the park and developed one of the coolest uh, concepts in, in Corville at that time. What were her evolutionary points? I mean, growing up in a restaurant myself, looking at, reflecting on my parents and what they did and seeing their growth. Can you do the same thing? And like from 88 to 2008, how did your mom evolve from getting in, not really knowing much about running a restaurant to knocking out of the park? Well, I think she, she knocked it out of the park right away, which was well, she did, unique. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, she, she just, she, she, she knew, she knows people. She had a great work ethic and she's, she's very was straightforward. Was she working in restaurants before that? She was in the grocery business. So oh, she okay. was working for a company called Hawkeye Foods and she was uh, selling groceries into, into restaurants. And that's yeah. how she realized, Hey, there's a huge need here. And that's what made her want to jump in. Reflecting on how your mom ran that business, how she uh, treated people, how she grew, like what stands out in your mind? I, I just think she was hospitality first all the way. And she had a very, very high standard. So usually you get one or the other, maybe the, the combinations is the winning ticket, right? And so yeah. she's just pushed hospitality, but she, she knew food and she was always a great cook. And so she was able to, to manage the food and make sure that that was a great product and then the service, and then she's got the kind of the total package, but the energy behind it, I think is what the separator was. So a lot of people that get certain pieces of it, it's when you get the certain pieces and you have a lot of energy, I think that's when you have a real winning, you know, yeah. situation. Uh, man, I always forget the, the name of the restaurant. I had a guest on the show. Maybe it'll come to me as I start sharing the story. Uh, he said, it's a, about your enthusiasm. Whoever has the most energy, the most enthusiasm, when you walk into a room, you got to bring it because people are going to come up to your level yeah. and that goes in both directions, whether you're bringing the energy or whether you're bringing the, the, the clouds, you know? Um, oh man, it was an, an Italian restaurant. Johnny Caraba said that from okay. Caraba's Italian grill. He, in, in that energy, that is that what you mean by the energy oh, yeah. she had? So what, what does that look like? Paint this picture of what your, the energy your mom has. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you walk in the room and she's there to greet you and she's excited and she's like, Hey, how you doing, man? Yeah. Good to see you. Yeah. You know, what's going on in your life? And she's the person who remembers what's going on in your life, which is really unique too. <laughs> so she knows what's happening with her customers. She knew what's going on with her staff. People adore her. To this day, we still have, I, I, I don't even know how many marriages came out of sluggers, but it was a lot. And a lot of reunions, some of my best friends are from that core group of people. And she was, she was in charge of all of it. So yeah. It was electric. I think it's one of those things that maybe you can't really describe because you have to see it. But enthusiasm is a great word. It's kind of enthusiasm with a, with a lot of um, push. You know, she wanted things to go really well. And I think that she she pushed us to do better. Beautiful. Uh, what about like just business practices, operations, finance, things like that? Uh, I mean, 
you know, we, we've always ran the books pretty tight. I think she was always in favor of monthly financials, weekly food costs. Um, and those are things that every restaurant's doing. And she, she always wanted to be on top of that. So we, we had pretty real time data. Yeah. I would say as we've grown the business, we're much more real time. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get, you know, shoot them even daily sometimes. Yeah. Um, where did she learn this? I don't know. That's a great question. I yeah. think, I think it's a little bit of here, a know how through, through the time, but I, I don't Maybe know the answer to that. the grocery business. Maybe I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of balancing and accounting in the yeah. grocery business, especially yeah. back then because it was all by hand. Yeah. So I mean, even handwritten tickets. You know, if you're buying 20 pounds of tomatoes, it yeah. was on a handwritten ticket. I mean, being so close to the business, growing up in the business, because I mean, I'm sure. I mean, 1988, you couldn't have been too old at that point. You're, I'm sure you're still. Yep. You know, Six years old. Yeah, pretty <laughs> young. Um, what do you remember about hard times for your parents? Well, I think there was there was. Definitely a lot of hard times for my parents. I think when my mom jumped into it, uh, it, I think she sacrificed a lot for the family. Mm -hmm. I mean, she became the primary after that happened. My dad's in the restaurant business as well, but he was more on the supply side. So if you wanted to buy a new refrigerator or China plates, he'd be the guy that would get that for you. So both in the business, she jumped in and took a a huge risk for the family. Um, My dad supported her, but I mean, I got to imagine that was pretty tough. Certainly the flood, the flood really took it out of her. That was a bad, that was a bad year. Yeah. I can imagine 2008 though, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, Anything else that you can remember during this, the come up, your come up growing up, growing up in in the restaurant family. Uh, then, you know, you said you started from doing cleaning to cleaning the, the grease traps to working to yep. managing to GMing. What was your personal evolution like during this time? How did she help form you? I think she just pushed me to do good. I mean, that was kind of the bottom line. She wanted me to be a good, a good kid. And, and she offered me the opportunity to make a few bucks. And I tried to take advantage of that working in the restaurant from time to time. Um, I think, you know, my evolution probably wasn't as quick as it should have been. You know, when I was general managing, I was still a young punk. I was 22 years yeah. old and, you, you know, know we're all lobe doesn't quite get there. Yeah, I was not there fully. <laughs> but I mean, we worked our butts off, though. I mean, you know, sun, sundown, we're always grinding. We're always doing stuff. But then we we're partying at night and enjoying. Yeah. But I mean, it was one of those things that it took time. And I think just the constant grind and the constant push from her, I think, drove us all, not just me, everybody that was surrounding us in that time period um, to do better. And they knew that. The standard was here, and when people went to it, it was great. Yeah. How does she maintain that standard? Man, constant pressure. I think, you know, just constant pressure. She was all over us all the time. And I wouldn't say in a negative way. I think in a, like a, hey, where are we at on this? And she was the person who was a project manager, and she would push things forward all the time. And so when things were dragging, she'd be the one to be like, hey, guys, Matt, what's going on? What are yeah. you doing? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of those words from Danny Meyer, constant gentle pressure, right? Um, I almost said it. Was she was she gentle about it? Uh, gentle, <laughs> gentle when needed and fierce when needed. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, what about your evolution? You said you were kind of a still like a, a knucklehead at twenty two, and you didn't really start to take it seriously. When did you start to take it seriously? I think once we did Blackstone, it all kind of started to click, and then I think the the Reds, the Reds experience when we did Reds, and we kind of. Drew, drew a line in the sand that we're going to be a, a beer first place. Once that started working and I could start seeing the financial performance and I could start understanding how we can impact people, especially impact the community, it made a huge difference. Okay. Um, so let's kind of get into that. So um, you drop out of college, you're working with your mom. Uh, you, you, is there like a, t- a point, a moment in time where you're like, this is my career. This is, this is, I'm on board. This is going to be it. Yeah, I think in Reds. I think when we were doing Reds, and I think that was 2010, 2009, I think that's when it really clicked. Hey, we're good at this, and it's going to work. So you you opened Blackstone in 2007. 
how involved was your mom with was 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 this not did she have anything to do with this was this solely just you and your partners uh, it was me and my partners. My mom was the fourth partner okay. and she, uh, she helped design it. She helped furnish it. She helped, you know, open it from the first couple of weeks. And yeah. then Eric and I ran it. How, how did this opportunity come across the four of you? Who, who was the first? My person? mom. Okay. Yeah. She, she kind of bird dogged it and then brought everybody into the deal. So what's the story behind this restaurant? Behind Blackstone? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's literally, it's on, it's like literally on the Island on the East side of town. And, yeah. uh, she saw there was a need over there. There was a, there was a good amount of income over there. There was not a lot of, uh, no options and you know we believed in the neighborhood joint and this was our version of the neighborhood joint for the east side you're the second person in two days to refer to it as a joint and the significance of a joint versus do you know who the first person was no jack piper oh really yeah uh he's like it's got to be a joint i'm like what do you mean by that it's like what do you what do you mean by joint what's your definition of a joint yeah i mean i think to me it just means it's 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 casual enough they can go there all the time it feels comfortable enough that, you know, you don't feel uncomfortable if you don't show up in a suit, yeah. you know, it, it, it's just, it, it checks multiple boxes, but it's still nice enough that you bring your family there, your mom yeah. there, you know, or your date there. I mean, I'm thinking about the, what Starbucks, Starbucks coined as the third place, the place between work yeah. and home. A hundred percent. The yeah. third place. Yeah. And I used to say this at reds jokingly, but I was like, they need to feel comfortable in sweatpants or in a suit. I was like, and if they, we can hit that, then we win. Probably not the common marketing, uh, mantra of like focus on one little customer but our customer was the neighborhood and so we had to nail the neighborhood and i think the neighborhood joint kind of expresses that i love that so um we already talked a lot about your mom faye uh who's brian flynn and eric shoemaker yeah so they're my business partners uh still business partners this day um we own several concepts together uh 30 hop is a kind of a contemporary american uh restaurant sporty bigger bigger architecture uh, kind of a modern food, a little Asian flair on the food. It's really, really hip and really good. And that has three locations right now. Um, we have a restaurant called Tribute. And then we also have a restaurant uh, called Iowa Athletic Club. All right. Uh, man, lots going on. I don't know how we're going to unpackage all this. So what was it about Brian and Eric early on? Uh, this is the first time you're going to partnership with them. What was it about this these relationships that made you feel like you're going to make a good partner? Well, I was young, and so I thought anything was going to work. Um, so from the, from the get-go, I just, I just respected both of them. Uh, they respected us. Eric and I went to high school together, and okay. Eric was uh, always a hard, hard worker. Did they work at your mom's original restaurant? No. Uh, Brian had his own place, uh, Joe's Place, which was a bar, and they, uh, they just connected. Uh, I think they went on a trip together. Um, like four or five couples all went on a trip together, and those two, my mom and Brian, connected she started talking about this idea and he's like, I'm ready to do something. Okay. And that's is how he it ended older up. than you. Nope. He's not. Oh okay. yes, he is older. But he's not older than my mom. Okay. Gotcha, he's maybe gotcha, eight gotcha. years older than me. Got it. Uh, what, what, what lane did he fall in? What was his responsibility? He's got a good feel for people. He's really good at finance, uh, working deals together, um, keeping people on the rails, like keeping the train on the tracks. He's yeah. one of those guys like, Hey, I love all your fun ideas, but yeah, you know, is the train going to show up at six? Cause that's what matters right now. And he's that kind of guy in a yeah. good way. He's also a really fun dude. Um, but yeah, I mean, Eric and him added just a way different dynamic than my mom did, my mom and I did, which was more kind of feel and uh, the look and the grace of the place. And they're more business and how we're going to get things done. Okay. Systems. So what about Eric specifically? You said, uh, Brian, you said keeps the train on the tracks. Yeah. I think you call that like a manager. He's got that manager. Yeah. Good at managing things. Uh, specifically, what does Eric bring to the table? Oh, Eric brings like literally extremely hard work ethic. Yeah. Uh, he, he's there busting it out. Um, we, we were the only two managers for the beginning. I think we had one shift manager in the beginning, seven day a week restaurant and we worked every shift together. So yeah. we, 
he's used to the grind. Um, he's also a very system oriented person. So he's the one that has, you know, the 18, uh, three ring binders in the back with every <laughs> system and SOP that you can imagine is here. You want to know how to do that? The end of month book work. Here's the, here's the binder. So he's good at that. Um, and he's also just a great dude. Awesome. Uh, what about your mom? Was she involved like in, with the day to day of Blackstone, or were she, she yeah. kind of holding down the original rat? Uh, sorry, um, sluggers. Yep. And you guys, was she like a, a equity partner, or how yeah? I think at that point she was more of an equity partner. Okay. Yeah, she was definitely not an LP. She was she was involved, um, but you know more like come to meetings, come join us at dinner at times, but never never actively managing anything. She would have been what, 50 some years old at yeah. that point. So she was not managing anything directly at that, in that level. Got it. So what about, so we talked about, uh, Brian being more of the manager, keeping the train on the tracks, uh, Eric hustle systems oriented. Uh, you mentioned that you're a, a lot of design biz dev and stuff like that. But with this first restaurant, like what was your lane with Blackstone? Oh, Blackstone. We, I was the, I was the chef for about two weeks when that didn't work out very well. <laughs> and then I, uh, went right into, uh, GMing with Eric together. So we were both running the front and uh, overseeing the entire restaurant. Um, right. Do you think partners are a good thing? I do, yeah. What, what people who don't think partners are a good thing, what's your argument to that person? That's a great question. I mean, I think this is something we can unpack for a long time. Let's I, do it. Yeah, I mean, I think partners... I think the problem with partnerships, I mean, I'll go backwards. I think the problem with partnerships is people don't know what the expectations of the partnership are. Mm. And I think that if you go into a partnership and you expect somebody to be working all the time and the same as you, but you didn't talk about it, and then the one person's doing more than the other and they're both paid the same or they're both not paid, can create a real, real issue. And I think that you see that a lot. It's like, hey, man, I've been doing all this work. Now we're going to split a dividend check? That doesn't make a lot of sense to people. Yeah. Um, so you got to be careful about that. And I think we've all seen... The negatives, and I've had, we've had our fair share of, of road bumps with partnerships, but I believe that, you know, we, if you had the right people in the room and you can create the right synergy, you can do more. Yeah. And I think that you de-risk projects by having partners for sure. Um, you know, it's not like the one boat sinks and everybody sinks. I mean, there's enough, there's enough leverage there to keep building it and, and support. I think that you have different people who are good at different things. So then that mix ends up creating a better project. Further together. Yeah, I think it's just yeah. a better project. And I think the better the project, the more successful you're going to be. And that's what we've done, actually. I think we've done a good job with that is finding the right partners for the right project. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I echo this a lot. I'm all for partnerships. I don't know how you can be at the top of your game and be the most competitive if you're not leaning on the strengths of multiple different, different people. I think it's in our nature to work in, in bands and groups. We're tribal, you know, like we, we grew up working in tight knit. We grew up, we, we evolved in hunter gatherer, 20 to 30 group people, like the people groups, like we, we, that makes us happy. Like that's our sweet spot. So like who are the 30 and 20 people that you can surround yourself with yeah. that round you off? Right. And how can you do things together? Um, back to this idea of like partnerships and not having a clear expectation of what the partnership is. Uh, how do you protect yourself from that? I think it's just really embracing candor and candor is a new word to our organizations, yeah. but we push hard on, on being transparent and honest with each other. And I think that what you have, and I, I use this pretty horrible analogy. I don't even know if it's PC anymore, but the analogy is your husband and wife, the husband comes home every day and throws a shirt in the corner, right? Yeah. And he does it for 300 days in a row. And on the 301st day, his wife looks at him. I can't believe you throw that shirt on the ground every time. Right. Yeah. And of course it's ridiculous. He's throwing a shirt on the ground, but he never knew he was doing anything wrong. Yeah. And so it reminds me of a partnership. Like if they're not honest with each other, they're not having the conversation all the time, then all of a sudden it's just 
boom. But you it know? pissed her off on the first day. Yeah, but she never <laughs> said anything. And if she just would have said, hey, honey, please put your shirt in the hamper, maybe things would have been fine. Yeah. You know, but, but that's not human nature at times. It's more disguise and um, kind of you know hide from the problem rather than address the problem. In our organization now, everything that we're doing is about let's fix problems as fast as humanly possible. And that's got to start at the partnership, number one. And then that just just go down through the organization. It's something that we're not great at everywhere by any means, but where it's executed well, we dominate because yeah. we're fixing problems faster than anybody can present them. Yeah. I mean, you re- reminded me of a book, uh, the book Traction. I'm sure you probably heard of it. Uh, great book. Uh, there's a shortened version of that book. It, what the heck is the EO? The operate, the entrepreneurial yeah. operate. I can't remember what EO stands for. I literally just read the book. It's kind of ironic. Um, but in that, I let, I listened to it on the way over here and the flight over here. Uh, and they take you through like the entrepreneurial operation. Like what is the operation system essentially? Yeah. And one of the key things they talk about in that book is, uh, like you basically have to, whoever is responsible for something, whoever has an, an issue with something, you got to find out who the direct who's responsible for that thing, and you need to be able to tell them in one sentence what's going on, and then they need to be able to come back to you in one sentence. And you train people to basically have candor as directly as possible, yep. and encourage it to yep. like get out your problems. And that's so huge. Um, why is candor so huge? What happens if you if you don't tell people? I mean, I think you already answered the question. It bubbles up, and then eventually people just explode, and it's too late. Yeah, I think just it just takes all the wiggle room out of the whole thing, right? Yeah. I mean, so it hey, so if this is going wrong in the kitchen and I don't go tell Ben in this example, but then I expect it to get better, how's it ever going to get better? Yeah. And I think that there's this mind reading thing that people think, hey man, yeah. I gave you a nudge. It's like, <laughs> I know, and I nudged you back. I didn't know that was actually that you meant something like the burger was being made wrong. Yeah. You know, so it's like have to be transparent, honest. And I think the way that... When it's done perfectly, the, the, the perfect combination, and you could look up uh, radical candor videos and everything you want to do there, but the perfect combination is honest and direct with care. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can nail that, that's when you start winning. Um, and that's when I think you can start seeing that rapid improvement. If you start thinking of what I would call people think of the, the burger as the problem with the burger is a conflict. Yeah. You know, they, they, they visualize it as a conflict. It's not a conflict. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for the organization to get better, for you to get better, for them to get better. Nobody wants to underperform. Mm-hmm. That's a big mistake people make. They think people don't want to come in and do a good job. I don't agree with that at all. I think people want to do, they want to work to the level that you provide them. Yeah. And so we can talk about it later too. <laughs> no, I think one of the things I, I like that you just share with us, and I think it came out, but the question I have for you is how do you deliver candor, which candor can be hard for a lot of people. It's very hard. Um, delivering it and receiving it, right? Yeah. What is the trick to be to having candor and, de- and delivering honest communication? I think you said it, but I, I want it to echo. Like, what is how do you how do you deliver that? What's the the trick to delivering that? Yeah, I think it's just honest and direct with care. care. So yeah, the care part is yeah. really important. You know, compassion can be a different word. Empathy, That's the other word empathy could be a different word. Yeah, care to me just and, and some of our values are literally set the tone, practice candor. We care. I mean, so it's yeah. kind of like a mix of those things in a blender. And then like, you know, I'm, I'm not set, telling you this to be an asshole. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, you this because I care. Yeah. And it's like, Hey Ben, I really appreciate you guys are working your butts off. Like, but every time I order the burger, man, it comes out and it's like a little undercooked. And I just, I just don't know if you know about that, yeah. but I know you want to make the best food. I'm, I'm letting you know? you know, because I know that it's important to you that you, you would want to know. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I love this. Um, what back to this idea of partnerships, because one of the things I've, I've, I've I have identified that you and your team do really well. You have lots of partners and lots of different businesses. Yes. You don't have just three partners, four partners that you open a bunch of different restaurants. You have some partners that aren't partners in other businesses. 
how do you, does does jealousy happen in that? Like how do yes. you like how? Yeah, I mean it's basically yeah. like a business, and I use this analogy like it's like polyamorous business partner. Like, but not that you guys are all literally sleeping with each other, but like you have multiple partners. Yeah, right. Like what's the trick to having multiple partners and bouncing those relationships and not pissing anybody off? Yeah, and I think that all of us have struggled with that at times, and I think that uh, we're a victim of our own success. I mean, we've. That sounds arrogant, but it's true. We, 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 if we didn't have successful projects or successful project, it probably, we never would have had this mix, you know? And I think that, that what you're referring to is that we own, I don't know, if, between all of us, if you're taking every single owner that owns a piece of anything, you're probably at 20 locations. And then, you know, ish, I don't know if that's exactly accurate. And then there's only certain ones that own certain places. And so it is all mixed together. It yeah. is kind of crazy. It is a triage of, of people working together. I think you got to really take a step back. I think I've had a few hard moments um, with partnerships and, you know, where I found out about a new project that I wasn't involved in and, and you know, it's every, but they're right to do a new project. I've done it too. So yeah. it's easy to put on one hat and not look in, and not look in the mirror, you know? So I did look in the mirror and realize, Hey, I'm not, I'm not seeing this straight. And, and once, once you digest that and you start realizing what's good, what is it? What's the, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Something like that. Yeah. I don't know exactly what that and means. It's hard to talk about this in detail yeah. because you can't, we're talking on a public forum. You're talking yeah. about people and relationships. For sure. So it's hard to get into the detail. Um, so I appreciate you being willing to go here. Yeah, and Even be yeah. like high level with this. So I think it makes sense real quick to, I like to use the analogy to hop in our jet, zoom to 30,000 feet okay. and see the big picture of everything you got going on. Cause there's a lot of moving parts. So 2007, you have Blackstone. Uh, we mentioned you have Brian Flynn, Eric Streamaker, uh, your partners along with your mom and yourself, four partners, uh, 2000, Nine uh, sluggers becomes sorry. Two thousand eight into two thousand nine sluggers becomes uh, Red's Ale House, which I mean I think we'll come back down to the helicopter in a little bit. Two thousand thirteen okay. was the next thing. Big uh, Big Grove Brewery is that the next project you had? Yeah. And then two thousand fourteen, you opened the first thirty hop. Yep. You now have three locations of thirty hop. Yep. Two thousand fifteen Pullman Bar. Yep. Uh. Then I think Mosley's Barbecue in Provisions was that after Pullman's Bar? Yeah. What year was that? Uh, 16? 2016. And then. Don't, uh, don't quote me on these dates. Okay. And in 2017, you opened your second Big Grove in Iowa City, which is where we are today. 2018, St. Birch Tavern, which was Atlas originally. You bought that from. Uh, Jack. Jack Piper. Thank you very much. So many names going through my head right now. Uh, and anything else that I did not mention? Uh, yeah. Um, we, we, uh, we, we, there's an area of town called the river landing, Iowa river landing, and there's an arena, uh, multiple hotels there. And that's where the first 30 hop is Okay, across the street with a restaurant called tribute. And that's a upscale American that's right. That's restaurant. Right. And then across the street from that, we just opened a restaurant called Iowa athletic club, which is, uh, our take on a new, new American sports bar. Right. It's a super fun place. I kind of knew that there were a few that I left out, but I couldn't, no, I wasn't good. sure which I did. So when yeah. did tribute come into the picture? Uh, tribute's about two years old. Okay. So we'll call that 2020. Yeah. And what about Iowa Athletic Club? Iowa Athletic Club is four months old, maybe five. Okay. So that's your newest baby. Yeah. And you have projects in the works right now. Yes, we do. Yeah. We'll talk, but we'll save that for later. Oh, sure. Yeah. Whenever. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, okay. Now, Reds, who are your partners? Is this allowed to be talked about? Like, I know some people like to be silent partners. Yeah. No, you're fine. Okay. I mean, we can can go as far as you want to go. I mean, Reds is so Sluggers Reborn. Um, it, It was really fortunate that my mom. We actually, she won an award for the Reds uh, through the Small Business Association. She was the rising phoenix from the flood okay. uh, because Reds, uh, 
was basically Sluggers reincarnated. And uh, Sluggers, she filled out all the paperwork. She led the charge on getting the FEMA loan going. Yeah. And it's a low interest loan over 30 years. And that's what allowed us to buy the building in North Liberty. And that's yeah. what created Red's Ale House was yeah. her, her tenacity. And she it was such a successful project that she was recognized for that. Okay. So you, your mom. Yep. Um, Sorry. Long winded answer. Yeah. No, that's great, man. Yeah. I, I want to pull it back these layers. So I just want to get the big picture cause it's a lot yeah. to cover. Uh, 2013 big grow brewery. Um, you have, I, I think Doug is one of your partners. Yeah. So it's me, my mom and Doug Getch. Okay. And Doug came back, moved back from California to pursue his dream of owning his own restaurant in yeah. Iowa. It and just then, happened to have a brewery with it. And then uh, 2014, 30 Hop, uh, that's Brian Flynn and Eric Shoemaker again. Anybody else? Me and our other business partner, Dan Bloom. Okay. Lots of partners, man. Yeah, I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah, you can go deep on this if you want to. It's gonna I, take, I it might take, it take some time. Uh, might take some we're, time. we're getting through it. Uh, Pullman Bar. So Pullman is what I would call our downtown group. And the downtown group is myself, Nate Kading, uh, Corey Kent, Ben Smart, and Doug Getch. Okay, Kate, Corey, Ben, Doug, you. <laughs> Nate, but yeah. Nate, sorry. Yeah. Oh, wait, was Corey? Oh, Kate was Nate. Yeah, Nate, <laughs> Corey, Ben, Got it. Doug, me. <laughs> All right, we have Mosley Barbecue in the provisions. Me and my partner, Sean Keller. Okay, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. I know, it's I an issue. Uh, <laughs> and then Big Grove again. I know Ben's a part of that. Yep, and then Big Grove is uh, the, the founding partners of the Iowa City location are the three main guys, the three founders, which is my mom, uh, Doug, and myself. And then Ben Smart and Danny Stanley, who's our managing partner, um, partnered into the project. And then since then, we've actually added on um, five additional partners, um, but they're all junior partners and bought into the business. We don't need to get into that. Yeah. Uh, Birch? Birch is the downtown group. Same a, same people, Doug, Nate, got it. Ben, Matt, Corey. Nate, I'm just going to put letters now. No, you're good. Okay. Um, and Tribute in Iowa Athletic Club, same? Uh, that, that's this. So Tribute is... Um, everybody plus Dan's brother, Darren, who's a rock star operator. And then uh, athletic club was a little bit more of a come together project. So we brought in uh, multiple partners from all the projects. So it's all the guys from the, the tribute partnership plus Nate and Ben. Jeez, okay. Yeah. I love this though, man. Yeah. This is really kind of, it's out of control. The point that I, the reason why I it sounds, to it sounds so silly to even say it out loud. Like I, know, I feel but, weird telling you this. Yeah. But for all the people out there that yeah. are like partnerships don't work. Well, yeah. You know, like you're you're doing some stuff here, man. You're making things happen. Yeah. And the question is, how do partnerships work? And then we got kind of got into that. So the next thing I was kind of hoping we could get into is like partnership agreements. Yeah. What have you learned about a partnership agreement? Because you, you, you said people don't set the expectation. And this is what the, the partnership agreement's for. So since you've done so many partnerships, what have you learned about partnership agreements? Well, I think the agreement's important, of course. I think the most important parts are, are how you get in and out of them. Um, I think that's something that, and what I mean is like a buy and a sell, and what happens if this person dies, and then what happens to the shares, that kind of stuff, all the morbid stuff. But also, what if somebody doesn't want to be in business with you anymore? Yeah. You know, how do you handle that? We've had, we've had a couple of buyouts over time, um, and those are... They're sticky. I think that it's, again, uh, you got to take, and you, to referencing what you said, you have to go 30,000 feet on that. And, you know, if somebody wants out, that's their right. And, you know, the number is the number and then you'll figure it out. Yeah. And, but I mean, you got to take it, you got to take a step back and realize this isn't going to make or break the project and we're going to be okay. I think it's also important to identify 
these, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. What, what else is important? I'm going to see if you can get there first before I add it to the conversation. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, and, and then I think it's just, you know, game planning. And we didn't do this very well in the beginning. There's times when Eric was working harder than I was, you know, and, and, and that's an issue. And it, and it can always manifest in different ways. It's also you know? a benefit of the partnership. Let's yes. be honest. Like life can suck. Yeah. Things happen. Yep. It's not just your business. It's family too. It's health. It's for personal. And like when you hit a bump in the road, your partners are there for you. Yes. You know, and I think people don't realize how hard this industry is. Yeah. And unless you're Superman or woman, like you're going to hit a hard road. And it, are you going to be able to show up the same at the same level every day? Likely not. So when you need a break and it's okay to need a break, those partners make that possible. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's one thing that's the un, the unwritten, but, but also the rule that everybody knows is that we have everybody's back no matter what. And if somebody's, in a spot, we have to step up. And I think we do that. Yeah. Um, the thing I was hoping we could get into is like the, the, in the partnership agreement is literally putting down people's responsibilities. Is that something you guys go as far to do? Like, or is that more of the org chart? And doesn't, does that in, get included with the partnership agreement? We don't, we don't include that with the partnership agreement. Um, I could see there being a, a reason to do that. We've had different ones where it's like, hey, if you get in this deal and it dies or, you know, you want to leave in like a day, you know, hey, you're not going to get your full amount back, stuff like that. But that's very specific. It's more along the lines of um, conversations, org charts, uh, alignment on just what we're doing with the project on the front side. I think we've got better about that. We still even hit a snag with our athletic club. Though. I mean, it's not a perfect science. We're still working towards a better org structure. You know, I think if you would have, rewound the whole script and realize, Hey, we're going to own a bunch of restaurants and breweries and stuff and, and stuff, excuse me. And you're going to find you might've structured it away different. You know, it'd be nice to share employees. It'd be nice to do a lot of things we can't do right now. Um, so there'd so be a share employees. It'd be nice to share employees. Oh, okay. It'd be nice to be able to, Hey, say, Hey, this gentleman's amazing in the kitchen. He wants extra hours. Let's put him over at a different restaurant. Yeah. You know, it, it's hard to do that right now. It's hard to manage over time. It's hard what to, makes it hard right now. Um, it's hard to manage, uh, all the payrolls are centralized between each restaurant. So imagine having to coordinate all that out. So if yeah, employees so they, they do five, 39 hours here yeah, and then exactly. they do 12 hours there. They get no yeah. overtime. What? Yeah, yeah. So we just have to stay away from that. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, but you bring up another good point about having multiple businesses and, and having people who you can cross train, you know, you put yeah. people around that would be really nice. Um, what else about partnership? Anything other, any other big lessons around having partners, uh, working things into this, the partnership agreement. Do you have a lawyer that helps you with this? Yeah, we have we have several lawyers that we use that uh, yeah. help us structure deals. It yeah. just depends on what kind of deal we we use for each person. Um, yeah, you know, I think maybe one of the the bottom line things is nobody gets a free ride. I think that's one of the unique things we do. I mean, nobody gets into a deal for free. You what know, do you so mean by that? I mean, I think everybody has to have a little skin in the game, a little cash in the game to make it work. I think a lot of restaurants and maybe not a lot, but I've heard a lot of deals where, you know, Hey, you're going to be the managing partner. You're getting 20% for free, you know, for doing the sweat equity. That's not how we don't, we don't like that model. We want everybody to have attachment to the project want to be fully invested in the project so that everybody wins together and loses together. Cause it's a big deal. I mean, it's skin in the game. Yeah. You know, skin in the game. When you put money, like it's one, it's easy to, to, it's easier to walk away when you have nothing to lose. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's easy to not care if you know, you didn't lose your, Money talks. Money, money talks. Money talks. Yeah. There's truth to that. I mean, it's an asset. It's, it, you know, it's a, there's a reason why we invented money. You know? Yeah. And it's real. And <laughs> so you, you, you got a responsibility and we need, we expect you to execute. So you have other, you have rest, some restaurants that have more partners than others. 
Um, do you ever look at a project and say, okay, like we, this is an opportunity. Maybe a land becomes available and somebody approaches you and says, I, I want you here's first right of refusal or whatever. And you see, it's a great location. This is a great opportunity. Uh, we need an element that we don't have to execute this. Maybe it's a chef. Maybe it's a front of house manager um, is, is giving equity something that you would use as leverage to find talent. Um, potentially. I mean, we like to grow people within the system. I think it just depends on the person and, their longevity and how much they, they love it, you know, yeah. and are they trustworthy? Do they want to be partners with us? I mean, those yeah. are, those are big decisions. Have um, you explored ESOPs or co-ops or anything like that? Yeah, I dip my toes in. I've taken a couple classes. Uh, I think ESOPs are really interesting thing. Um, a lot of moving parts with it. Yeah. Really yeah. expensive to get started too. Yeah. Like hundreds of thousands, uh, over a hundred thousand dollars from what I've understood, just to get lawyer fees to do that. To, right. Yeah. And I didn't realize that was that far out of reach. And, and you have to do it right, right. I mean, yeah. so you can flip those things upside down and then you're gone. Yeah. Uh, so you have to be really careful on how you, you structure those. And there's a million, Google Google it, there's a million articles. But yeah. it's it's a thing though. But I think executed properly, it could be a really interesting, really interesting idea. Yeah, uh, I think it's now's a good time to kind of drill down again and get like in our helicopter and sure. hover over some of these restaurants. We got our, like big picture for a while, uh, specifically um, with Big Grove. So you guys recruit Ben Smart for big growth. Yep. Originally he did not have equity in that business. He was the executive chef. Uh, in that scenario, you approached him from what I understood from the story he just told us. He said, you said, Hey, let's come have a beer and let's have, let's talk about food. Yeah. Which man, let's talk about opening a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> we got lucky, man. <laughs> Take it, yeah. What was going through your mind? Like why Ben? What was, what was it about Ben? Well, I think I was, I was so naive back then that I was like, why Ben for us? And I should have been like, I should be begging Ben to come work for us because yeah. he's the man and he's an unbelievable chef and partner and business person. But I think, you know, we, we got lucky. I mean, Doug called his dad and or called Ben directly and said, Hey, we're looking for somebody to do this, not knowing Ben was looking. And so that was just really. What are the odds? Lucky. Serendipitous, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, what's the chances the guy lives in Washington wants to move back to Iowa? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty special. It was his alma, alma mater. I don't know if I said that right. This previous, the school he went to that he was looking at, right? Yeah. He was going to go cook, yeah, teach cooking school, um, chef school. He's, yeah. So anyways, yeah, I got very lucky. Um, we went into that just saying, hey, we need a chef. And then, you know, fast forward a year later, I'm like, this is, I've never been around something like this. Yeah. And I've been around a lot of great people. I just haven't been around something like this. So what happens when you find somebody like that? What do you do? Protect, protect, How protect. do you protect them? This one, I thought he's the kind of person I need to be partners with. Yeah. And that's how we protected Ben. And I think from then though, I mean, we've grown together. We've grown quite a business together. Yeah. Um, and he's involved in four projects, seem to be five, six projects with us um, so because he's, he's just that good. Just from our conversation, I, the thing, the, the leg you were missing was the culinary up to this point. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I mean, we had we had good culinary. Um, I would say we leveled up. Yeah, and I think that Ben Smart and this is going to sound again fairly arrogant, but I think Ben Smart changed the food industry, the food the food scene of Iowa City and the surrounding communities. I I keep on thinking you're saying Ben Smart. I'm like, I know he is. I just talked to him. Yeah, no, no, yeah, (laughs) but I mean, I really do think I think his food changed how people were approaching food locally. And I think that he, he added some heat. Um, We had a few. We had several great restaurants, but nobody was bringing the culinary innovation. In this, in in a different way. I mean, he was on the West Coast. He was working with Farm to Table. I mean, that was not that common then. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's he was just ahead. Yeah, seven, right? Yeah, he was ahead. Yeah. Um. So I mean, when you have somebody who is such an asset, who rounds off 
collectively makes you all better because they bring something to the table that wasn't there prior as far as to the level he was doing it, right? You said he upgraded you guys. Yeah. Um, that's when you like, when you, I think when you can round off a team and you can go on and do more things, and this person is literally an asset to you because you know you can go further with them. Like, that's when you start thinking, like, do I give up equity? That's, that's when that comes into it because I can make more with this person long term. Yeah. I mean, do you want to own, you know, 50% of, $100 or do you want to own 30% of $500? I mean, it's just, exactly. you know, it's just math. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but a guy like that, he insulates you from a lot of uh, the restaurant problems and a lot of problems can be generated from the back. A lot can come from the front. But when you have somebody like him who's basically stoic and can go in there and fix problems and get to the bottom of the issue quickly, it's powerful. Okay, back to the storyline. 2008, Great Flood. You said this was a really hard time in your mom. It was a bad flood. It yeah. was a really bad flood. I've heard stories about it already. It's It sounds crazy. Um this uh, let's just talk about this the story of reds and how you guys went from sluggers to reds the challenges associated with that the things we can learn through your story yeah i think uh th- well number one just getting my mom to even fill the paperwork out because she was so upset traumatized sl- yeah about yeah. R- about sluggers once that happened and, and we found the place she had to convince me to do it because i didn't know north liberty i'm like where, where are we going to do in a restaurant in north liberty which is just you know 10 minutes north of where we're at right now yeah like that doesn't make any sense to me and then she pulled back the Pulled, what is it? Pulled back the leaves and the onion. And it's like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of people here that aren't being served. Mm. I think Red's is the only restaurant in that town, full service dining experience. Maybe there was three, two for, for seven or eight years. Yeah. And 10,000 people. Got it. So, uh, any lessons from that, that brand change that, I mean, this yeah. is the second brand change you've done since then. Yeah. You did it with, um, uh, Birch. Yeah, second so brand. Yeah, so I got off track there. But yeah, the, 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 the hard part was is that do you change it or not change it? That was the first thing I think we had to work out. So you, why did you choose to change it? I wanted to change it because Sluggers was kind of stale and it was a it was kind of a it was an old way of doing business. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I mean that like the food was a little bit different. I mean people still talk about Sluggers food and it's twenty you know, it was a long time ago, but the food seemed dated. The, the the approach to service seemed a little bit dated. And we didn't have a real bar business at all. It was more of a family restaurant. And I wanted to kick that. And how did you, I was trying to figure out what, how do you kick it? There's a, comp, there's a business called Miller's Ale House. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Wow. It's a chain down in, in down south. And they led with beer. And I was like, wait, we could do something different. We could lead with beer. And so we kind of leaned in this idea of becoming an ale house. And I was like, what's an ale house? An ale house is a place that you know, puts a lot of beer on tap. Yeah knowledge about beer, a beer resource. And then that turned into reds. And so it wasn't going to be sluggers ale house. And we wanted to get away from the sports theme a little bit. And so that became, uh, became reds and reds just felt good. We said it as like, man, that just feels good. Like let's go with something that feels good, lead with ale. And we, we did it. And then uh, like a lot of things fell into place and the beer laws changed. Then we became the best place to release beer. So if you were founders and you wanted to come to Iowa, you'd go through Reds. And that that was when the beer craze was crazy. And we'd have, I mean, 300 people out the door to come try Founders KBS. Yeah. And this is when on tap is starting to... Yeah. It's too. just when people, people are seeking out beers. Literally trying to earn badges on like drink, just being able yeah. to drink and take a photo of a new beer. You know? Yeah. Let's go back to that time. <laughs> that was a great time. So, you know, brewery releases were a big deal. And now yeah. it's kind of like, hey, there's another brewery in the state. But back then, it was a big deal because we were a flyover state for beer. People would go to Chicago from California, Stone Brewing, an example, yeah. and not drop beer here. 
And we'd call him like, hey, man, drop some beer here. Like, what's going on? We want to. He's like, yeah, we're really focused on full trucks. And I'm like, no, you don't want to deal with Iowa. <laughs> so <laughs> so we, they figured that out. And that that uh, that changed the game because all of a sudden we had access to all the beer in the world and nobody was really wise to it. There's like three or four places in the, in the whole state that were wise to it. So founders would drop, oh, gosh, I can't even remember the beers, whatever they were. And we just like, buy them all. Yeah. So that doesn't exist anymore either. But that's how it used to be. I think it's really important to to say too to point out back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, people like like if you got away from the Budweiser, Bud Light, Coors Light, yeah. you know, like that's that's almost offensive to some people. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I feel like there's a level of juxtaposition happening here where you're the only place that's not operating offering that. I mean, did you still have it on tap or not? Uh, we don't now. No. Okay. But what, what's the power of doing something that no one else is doing? I just think you stand out. You know, I mean, I, well, one thing on the beer, which I think is a funny story. Uh, you had 18 draft lines at Reds and I never forget the story. I'm sitting there talking to the Budweiser rep and they're helping us install the, the beer lines. He's like, Matt, I think your beer is going to go stale. Like you're not going to sell enough beer to make it yeah. worth 18 lines. And now you walk into any restaurants. Like if you don't have 20, you're not playing the game. You yeah. know, it's like, or 50 or hundred. So that's where it was. He's like, if you put more than eight, it's too many. Yeah. And now it's like, we were like, hey, man, we, we think we got something here. Like, let's, let's run with it. What was your second question? Your question? Oh, I heard, forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm loving the conversation, man. You're really dropping a lot on us. Um, I think moving on, uh, 2009, and this was probably one of the biggest gaps between Red's Ale House and uh, Big Grove Brewery. Um, four years. That's one of your biggest gaps without opening a restaurant. What's going on during this time? Well, a lot of build up to Big Grove, a lot of build up to 30 Hop. Um, 30 Hop's build felt like it was two and a half years. Um, that was a ground up project. Uh, Solon was a ground up project. That's where Big Grove is. They took a long time. Um, and I think that we really didn't have our feet under us. We didn't know that we were going to make money and be able to do what we were going to do with the businesses. So once we, we, we realized, hey, we got something here and our system is working and it's making money, we're making a lot of people happy and we're having massive impact that led to big grove and 30 hop. And then that was basically, okay, this really worked. The system being beer focused operations. Yeah. I think beer focused or just the operations, you know, like, Hey, we're good at running restaurants. What was it about the operations? What were the reflecting back at this time, this period of time, how are you evolving as a business operator? What were you doing to advance your career in your businesses that you weren't doing in the past? I think we were doing it for a while. I think that we started to see the financial payoff, you know, into that second third year Reds. So Blackstone was making money, Reds was making money, and then that what are we gonna do? You know, and that's what led to it. And I think that the difference was is that we had never seen I don't want to say returns like that, but we had never seen the opportunity kind of present itself in the way it did. And we okay. saw all these holes and gaps and with but the brewery Big Grove, it just made sense to us. Hey, beer is hot. Beer is going to be hot. Everybody likes beer. Why don't we make our own beer? And we originally were going to put the brewery on Red's building. And then that we couldn't get it done with the city of North Liberty. It was just going to have to change the whole entire project. And so we ended up trying to find another location. And that took a long time, too. Okay. There's a whole story there as well. I just realized we're almost, we're over 50 minutes into this conversation. Okay. We haven't taken a break to thank our sponsors. And that was a great time to do that. And I'm going to pop open one of these seltzers. All right. We'll be right back. 
Find out why past guests like Tender Greens and Kava are using Play IQ for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Play IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with Play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. Now, I've told you what's new with Play IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Play IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Play IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check, ACH, or Play IQ card. Also, with Play IQ bill pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right, no more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to, no more duplications of efforts, and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. We're back. And where we left off, you're talking about all these opportunities that started to present themselves. You also talked about uh, why not? make our own beer. You yeah. Know? And that was the other thing that came up too. But before we start getting deeper into that, we also popped open some drinks here. Um, we have a video. If you guys are not watching the video, go to youtube.com slash restaurant stoppable. Check out the video. What are we drinking? I have a seltzer. What do I have? here? Yeah. You have big Grove squeeze. It's our hard seltzer line. Uh, and that's the pineapple kick. It's, it's pineapple with a kick of ginger and it's super refreshing. A little less carb, which I really like. So you don't feel so full. Yeah. No artificial uh, anything, no sweeteners added, so it's just a little cleaner. Almost drinks like a like a like a like a bubble, like a Lacroix. Yeah, that is smooth. Yeah, super easy. And then I'm drinking uh, Easy Eddie, which is uh, our crown jewel. It's a hazy IPA, and I'll say it: the number one IPA. You said it: the number one IPA in Iowa. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a big deal. We just took that down recently, um, and that's you know by whatever measurement you want to measure it. But but uh, why did you take it down? I'm curious. Uh man, I, we have amazing brewers and amazing salesmen, and yeah. they're uh, they're out there just they do it right. I think the product is a separator. I think the liquid. When you say you took it down, what what did you take down? Oh, I mean, I think this is the number two selling craft beer in the state right now. Okay, because I used to put Restaurant Stoppable, the number one restaurant business podcast in the world. But honestly, like I'm, I don't like saying that. Yeah, it makes me feel like a. You should probably say it. But it also makes me feel like an egotistical like. Yeah. Oh, you think you're number one, but what makes you number one? You know what I mean? Is that, do you ever worry about that? Yeah. I mean, I've worried about it like 20 times on this podcast already. <laughs> so yeah, no, I worry about it a lot. Um, but I mean, on this one, I can be honest. I think that our brewers are masters of their craft. I think that our sales team are masters of their craft. And I think that 
we've done a good job scaling up and yeah. those guys have uh they've really knocked it out of the park um i want to try to remember to talk about uh your you know your branch off into seltzers because obviously in the past two years they've just yeah. exploded i'm curious about how that served you guys but let's go back to where we were before opportunities sure. that presented themselves um what were these opportunities that started presenting themselves well my mom uh her her brother, uh, his name was George, George Papa George of Papa George Hames Architects in Chicago, was helping Coralville develop their river landing project, which we now we have three locations in. And he was kind of helping the master plan, and they were looking for a local restaurant to take an anchor position. And so we had um, we talked to him about that opportunity just by happenstance through George. And so that was the first one. And then Solon which is where the original Big Grove location uh, was also. We went, I met with the Solon manager and the Solon mayor, and I was like, hey. And they were they were like, hey, we really want to revamp our downtown. I told them the vision for the project. I was like, hey, we want to make amazing beer. We want to make amazing food. We want to create a destination. And they said, we want you to do that. And so they helped fund us take out to take out a restaurant that was there that was basically falling apart. And it was an iconic restaurant that had fell in disrepair. So we ended up demolishing that building that helped us buy a lot. And then we, you know, we, we took the deal from there. So a couple of just opportunities, I don't want to say they fell from the sky, but they were, we were very lucky. And, uh, I think the timing was right. And the, the, the customer was hungry and thirsty. Yeah. You're making me think of something that comes up often on the show, but it's worth echoing. I think people get in trouble cause they, they push for scale. They, they, they think, Oh, we need more money. We need to grow. And what ends up happening is they overextend themselves. They don't have the people or the cash flow. Yeah. But when you put your head down and you just do what you do better than anybody else, opportunity starts knocking down your door. And I think that's when you know it's time to scale is when you're bursting at the scene with people who need opportunity and people are coming to you saying, hey, do you want to do this? Yeah. Like, is that what was kind of happening here? Yeah. I would just say for every Velvet Taco and whatever financing happened, you know, like there's a hundred restaurants that failed. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I think this, the scaling is an interesting conversation. I mean, you know, you could look at any opportunity and say, Hey, we could have doubled down on this and done way better. I've also opened a restaurant two doors away from another restaurant, seen the first one, you know, make a quarter of the money it made the year before. Cause we took our eye off the ball and that was two doors away. So, yeah. I mean, it just shows you like it is hard. And I think that it pe- the scaling is the most one of the most, if not the most difficult thing you can do in this business. If you go from one to two, OK, you're a champ. If you go from two to four, that's a big deal. Yeah. And you talk about like we have a lot of partnerships. I'm really grateful for those. because I don't know that we would have made it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's I think we could have gritted it, but it wouldn't have been smooth. It would have been hard. My wife would have hated me. You <laughs> know, I mean, there's a lot of things that would have gone with that. And so I feel very fortunate that I do have the partnerships, but. Scaling is no joke. And I would challenge you guys that are listening to this, protect the engine. <laughs> like if yeah. the engine that's full of fueling your cash flow. If you have a Reds or you have a Blackstone or the restaurant that basically made you, never take your eye off that because that's what's going to fuel the rest of it. Yeah. I want to dive deeper into that. Put a note under, uh, we start talking about 30 Hop because that's the brand that you've scaled the most up yep. at this point. The, the secret to scaling in your opinion. Um, but back to these opportunities. Um, so it was real estate opportunities. Specifically, and also an underserved market uh, that wanted more beer, home brewed beer. Is that kind of yeah, beer food experience? Beer food experience. Yeah, I think yeah, all those things. So you you also ask yourself around this time, why not make our own beer? Yes. What What's the benefit of making your own beer? Well, I think if you do the math, not much. Um, I think that the real benefit is that you create a destination, um, a place to visit for more than just food. I think that was a kind of where our big growth thesis was like Solon's a 15 minute drive outside of town in a town of 2000 people. 
why are you going to open a brewery in Solon? It's like, I've asked well, myself that question. Like, why Solon? Yeah. Um, well, Solon was wonderful. Um, we, we got to reach, we got to become an integral part of the community and dropped a, literally the address is like Iowa and main street or first in Maine. I can't, geez, I can't even say it right now, but, uh, and, and we got to make an impact. And I think that the people that visited Solon were like, this is amazing. And I, what a, what a great drive. And you would like, also have to go to either Cedar Rapids or uh, Iowa City to get that same experience. So now people who would be commuting to get an experience can get it at home. Sort of, yeah. No? No, I think so. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I just think that it created something that's so unique that it was worth the drive. Oh, so, okay. That's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, it's really, it's a unique, you got to get lunch there before you go. Yeah, so. we're, we're talking about maybe tomorrow or yeah. who knows, maybe even tonight we'll make the trip. Um. <clears throat> So, I mean, what were the challenges with creating the first Big Grove Brewery? Like, what, what did you start off as a brew pub or did you start as a restaurant and scale into the brewery? Yeah, I mean, Doug's better at these stories than I am because he's got a better memory. But we we, uh, we started as a brew pub. It's always going to be a brew pub. So it was going to be a restaurant with a small brewery on the backside. Okay. We had a brewer that was with us at Reds who was helping run our beer program who took over that. And, yeah, we almost. So he was a brewer. Was he a private brewer? Basically, or yeah, he was just a home. He was home commercial, brewer. a little bit of commercial, and home brewer, and he was gonna jump in and be our head brewer. Okay, awesome. Um, what other elements did you have to recruit to make this happen? Well, we needed the manager, and so Doug was the big recruit on the whole project. Okay, yeah, Doug and Bill were the Bill was the brewer. They were the big recruits, and then the rest of it fell into place. And we got, I mean, we literally got. I can't explain how lucky we got with Ben. Like we got really lucky, and Ben. Yeah. Ben took a huge risk. I remember the first time I sat him down and I'm like, dude, I go, I don't think you understand what you're getting into. I want to make sure we're on the same page here. And that conversation was, he came from fine dining course meals every night. I mean, I'm sure he told you about that. Yeah. Like, nine course meals. What, every four single diamond night. Or something like that, yeah. Five, five diamond diamonds, restaurant. Yeah. I mean, like they don't mess around and there were seven guys that did everything. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you better be ready to turn a thousand covers on a Saturday. And he's like, I go, he goes, what? And I go, I'm talking a thousand covers on a Saturday. He's like, I don't, you're not for real. I was like, I'm not joking. And then of course, you know, three weeks in, he's like, "You weren't joking." Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, he yeah. ended up getting like a like best. He, a 2018, I think he got restaurant tour of the year. Yeah, he got a magazine recognized him for like rising star chef or chef. Yep, uh, I can't remember the plate name. magazine. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I mean, that's huge press for you guys. You you opened to be. I mean, it sounds like the focus originally was to be the brewery, and then you got this old rock star of a chef. Yeah, to complement the quality of the beer, or is that wrong in saying that? I you, no, you're right. I think that's this the. I don't want to say we're lucky. Maybe we're lucky, but you it, said it a few times. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like those things lined up, and we didn't know it lined up, and all of a sudden, it it was not just a beer destination; it was a food destination. What were the biggest challenges with just hitting it out of the park? There's, that comes with challenge. Um, I mean, I don't know. We I was splitting time between two restaurants. Personally, that was a lot. I mean, I was running two restaurants with Doug. And the, and Reds at the same time. Luckily, we had Corey who was backing me up. Um, I mean, it was just it was just a lot, like everything, you know. I mean, from just running out of everything the first two weeks to just the grind, and then managing uh, a manufacturing plant in the back, which was very small. But at that time, we weren't used to it. You know, we weren't used to making things like that. You know, yeah. we never made drinks. You know, <laughs> like we yeah. didn't make beverages for people to consume. So that was a whole different ball game. And then just getting used to to the different ways the business hit. So we didn't do lunch right away in Seoul and we had lunch on the weekends and then, you know, it would go from four to nine and then dead. And so you had these like really interesting windows of business where at Reds, it was very consistent. Blackstone was very consistent, even doing a little bit of late night. So I guess maybe some of those are the challenges. I don't know. It was, it wasn't that bad. 
So 2014, 30 hop. Where, how did this opportunity come to you? Yeah, that's the monster. Um, that's a monster restaurant. It's 10,000 square feet. Uh, seats 450. Um, got a rooftop patio with 150 seats. It's an outdoor patio on the main floor of 100. It's it's a wild spot. The um, the stars aligned. I mean, we got really lucky. It was a it was a it was a I said it again. It was a tremendous. It was a, it was a, it was a tough one to get. I don't think it was as um, Solon was. Hey, if you guys want to do this, we'll support you. This was man. There's a hundred moving pieces. Everything needs to line up right, and we need to nail this spot. And the spot's very, it's like shaped like a piece of pie. It's a weird spot. It's like a baseball diamond. Okay. And, and there was a hundred parts of the deal because it was a deal with the city and it was their new development and there was nothing out there. And so it was, it was a wild one. But when it did happen, it was a smash right from the beginning. And it's like in the heartbeat of the whole community. So this is in Coralville. Yes. This is the first location. Uh, one thing I actually had started talking to Ben about outside is how the significance of having that partner and the, the ability to pull together Project. So you get to a point where you have enough success where literally the, the leaders of a community come to you and say, we want to develop this part of town. We want to work with you. When do you get to that point where people literally just start coming to you because they want to make a success? They want to make a community successful. They're bringing elements of that community t- together and you're just an element of the, the greater project, which is building the community, right? Is that kind of, a, it's almost like civil engineering and you're a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. But like what happens when you reach that level? You got to be picky. I mean, I think about this location we're at right here. Yeah. Like th- what was here? Well, this is this? this is an interesting location. Um, and when I say the location here, we're talking about the second um, Big Grove Brewery in Iowa City. This one was, uh, I was again, another business partner. Um, but my friend and uh, business partner, Randy Miller, um, and I had been kind of sniffing around. Hey, we need a spot to make some beer and at scale. We want to make a little bit more beer. Love to have a tap room to go with it. Our original vision was like, let's just go get around a warehouse in Solon. I'm like, that just doesn't seem like a good use of our time. You know, like we can make beer and make money, but not a lot. We really want an experience. We're great at hospitality. Let's get people on the walls. Let's get them drinking the product. Let's let's get them experiencing what Big Grove is. And I think, you know, it, it was in Solon. So, I mean, I don't know how many people in Iowa City maybe made the trek up there, 10, 15%. So, we, we <laughs> so this location. This is a 27,000 square foot building, uh, 11,000 minutes for, is for uh, hospitality or guests and kitchen and 18 or 17,000 is for, for production. Um, and there's 3,000 square foot of office, which we're, we're sitting right now. This building was meant to be demolished. And so what happened here was, I mean, this is just talking about how everything comes together. Randy and I called um, the, the previous owner and were like, hey, what's going on? And she wanted to sign a six-month lease because the city wanted to do some bigger plans. And you're like, well, that's never going to work. So we ended up putting a deal together to buy basically the entire block. And so we bought the block, which is the building you're sitting in and the building to the south, which was not a building then. It was a, it was a greenhouse. And worked with the city to create a plan to, to keep this building. This is not a typical restaurant story. <laughs> to keep this building and uh, adapt the whole plan. So where you're standing is supposed to be a road about 20 feet behind you. Okay. And so the whole thing is crazy. Yeah, but beyond that, you also have a, like a, was it a condo development. What would you call it next door to? Yeah, I would say it's, a, yeah, it's apartments and condos. Yeah, I mean, so it feels like, like when you can get to that point where you start talking to the people in collaborating with the people who are literally forming societies, forming communities, and you can be a part of that. And 
I feel like you just start getting pulled into these opportunities, right? And you like the momentum just starts to pick up. Yeah. I don't know that what was going on here, but like, and I, I realize we're kind of jumping ahead right now because we went okay. from we went from 2014 30 hop to the challenges to like, oh, we're now with 2017 Big Grove Iowa City. You got so much going on; it's hard to kind of keep it organized. Um, <clears throat> when did you get to that point? Was that with the scaling? Like what, what triggered these opportunities for you, would you say? Yeah. So you asked about what do you do when people call you? Um, yeah. Yeah. So we got, you know, everybody that has a smash is getting a lot of calls, I think. Yeah. I mean, you know, because I think that the modern developer realizes that you have to have a restaurant if you really want to anchor community. And so restaurant, coffee shop, you know, name whatever you want to insert there, brewery, distillery. I mean, you need something for people to do and you need something for people to gather the third space you referenced yeah. earlier. And if it's right out your front door, even. Yeah. Better. So, I mean, I mean, geez, I don't know how many we get pitched a week or a month, but a lot. And of course we want to do them all, but you just got to pick the right ones. What's the governor? What controls what, what you say? Yes. to? like the community is a big one. Um, the opportunities maybe a little bit less, like, is it the right fit? You know, I, I, I don't want to force something. My friend, Nate, our partner, Nate, says you never want to roll a, a rock up a hill, you know, it should just go easy. You know, yeah. it should just work. You know, it should be pushing a rock down a hill. And I think that's great advice for business. Like don't try and fit the round peg into the square hole. Like, go with the grain. Yeah. Make it work. And if yeah. it doesn't work, that's okay. Um, and you don't need to do it. And I think that a lot of times people feel the urgency to do it. Yeah. And it's like, there's going to be another deal. There's yeah. always another deal. So if it doesn't work, don't do it, you know, yeah. but easy to say, hard to do yeah so exactly i respect that so back to uh 30 hop yeah um this is where you know you now you have at this point this is your fourth concept that you own um and you do you scale quickly when did the second and third location of 30 hop come um the second one was in cedar rapids and that was a i would say three and a half years ago so what would that be 1918 19, yeah, yeah something like that and then the third it's going to open later this year. Okay, got it. Um, what you said, you you put a lot of emphasis on scaling and yeah. like what it takes to scale and the challenge of scaling. Get into that. Really dissect the evolution of scaling. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I mean, the evolution of scaling. I think that the big one for me is you need to have a number one who's a very, very capable person. And I think that to create the number one um, we've used partnership to do that. We've used opportunity in the future to do that. Um, we're probably, it's not a perfect science, uh, but we, you got to have the number one who's a killer. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Like you have to have somebody who's really high ability, really high, but really high intensity. You know, they have to, they have to be really good at what they do. They don't have to manage people. They have to fit the values. And, and on top of that, they got to be relentless. And like, those are the people that win. And I think that's just a recent aha I've had is like, what separates the best GMs from the medium GMs. And it's just relentlessness to know that like when I ask them to do something or they come up with an idea, it's going to be executed and it's going to be done right away. That's a big deal. Yeah. And you find that that, that trait, I don't know if people are born with that trait. I yeah. They might be born with it, but maybe not everybody has. I can tell you that. Yeah. I, I call this recreating yourself and others. Yeah. You have to literally duplicate yourself because you can't be in two places. Exactly. At so you have to find that person to, to recreate yourself uh, or at least take over your responsibilities or someone who's better at it is even is ideal. That's the best. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you're kind of reminding me of Chris Schultz. We talked about uh, scaling culture and uh, he, he talked about these culture carriers, the people who just embody everything that it is that you your avatar of the perfect employee 
the right attitude, the right core values, all these things, those people become the baseline for the next location. You take those people who get it, who are like the perfect picture of what it is to be whatever you say you are, they lead they are, they are the culture carriers. That's how he describes it. Would you call that? Do you, do you mesh with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that we we're just you know trying to get better at it. I mean, it's hard. You know, yeah. we came from a space where you would uh, I could call it gut it maybe or just grit it and bear it. Like you know, you just we just work your way through it. I'm telling you right now, you can't do that when you have ten spots or five spots or three spots. You can't just work your way through it. You can't be in three places at once, right? So that's. That's probably one of the mistakes that we made at times was, hey, we'll just we'll just muscle through it. And it works, right? It works if you have partnerships. But I mean, one person trying to do that four times, I think it's difficult. Yeah. So you said, uh, number one, you got to recreate yourself. Well, that's what I said. But you said you got to find that person uh, who's your rock, who, who you can just put in place of yourself. What's the second thing? What's What happened? That's the first step of evolution when scaling. What's next? I, I think then just incubating them with a decent team. Yeah. with a good team. I mean, that's, I, this is a people business. I mean, the location matters. Absolutely. Um, I think that we, we go back to people no matter what yeah. it's all about people. Who's going to be our number one. Who's going to be our number two. Who's running the kitchen. Who's responsible for what, who's, who's, who's the one I'm looking at when this operation's not running right or it's not profitable or there's an issue and are they strong enough to have that responsibility and to react to it? Yeah. What about your, your systems and processes? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you had Homeboy, one of your partners, scrolling up lots of notes today. Lots of notes. <laughs> Where were we? Um, I know it was one of your partners in Blackstone, Eric. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Eric Shoemaker was like. Where were your systems by the time Thirty Hop came? Were they like rock solid? Like, was there like no question about how to like paint that picture of where the systems were? Yeah, I would say. Man, I don't know. He'd probably have a different answer. I thought maybe 75% baked. Okay. I think that we're still evolving the system. It's not perfect, it, you know? It never ends. Yeah. I think 75% baked. I think we came from a concept that was a hybrid, casual American dining experience. And that was half of 30 Hop. And the other half of 30 Hop was this massive patio and then an upstairs bar. And so we had to adapt the system, right? Uh, we, we had run one to two managers on a Friday night at Blackstone, you know, at, at, and we tried to do that at 30 Hop and it worked okay but i mean keep, they're killing each other i mean they're, they're really running up the stairs all night yeah. and back down so just finding that right mix of how do you manage a location like this what are your expectations from a labor perspective too i think that we are a little bit it was the good old days back then i mean we were we were the, the labor percentage were so low and now we run a completely different model so yeah. i think the models change a lot too so one of the benefits of having like a chain or uh when you take when you take one thing and you make multiple of them you can literally like copy and paste the systems and processes you can down to the floor plan right um not so much when i mean that's when you get to the point where you have like 30 to like 50 locations like you're building them perfectly for yourself uh but like you said it was 75 percent if 100 percent is where you are now obviously we're, we, we never stop right but what were the, the key changes you made to go from 75 to 100 percent when it came to systems and processes well, I think we're still working on it, but I obviously I said that already, but the, the, the way we incentivize our people is something we're trying to get right. Um, it's definitely a work in progress. I mean, from where it was before, we really didn't have incentive programs back then. Uh, I think how we manage our scheduling is a big change. Um, we're very intentional about scheduling. We're very intentional about our food costs. Uh, it was, it wasn't willy nilly, but it wasn't, it wasn't as tight as we like to run it now. Um, 
And I think that the culture side, I mean, that, that was just not a thing we were talking about 10 years ago. I mean, eight years ago, it wasn't a thing. I mean, we, I mean, it makes sense. You know, we want to have people like us and love their job and we, that's what we wanted to do, of course. But, but really the culture thing that became real, I don't know, three to five years ago. Yeah. That's what, about what, about what Sen, Bed said yeah. um, was about five years ago, you guys established your core values, right? Yeah. Um, when you say we, are you talking like every restaurant like do these core values the mission does it is it one over encompassing core value set of core values and mission or does each concept have its own set yeah again crystal ball or go back in time we probably have everything the same i think right now it's like everyone has a little morph of the same things right okay. and so um big Grove and reds are very similar uh 30 hop and tributes are very similar it's just kind of like wherever the partnerships are yeah they run similar values but they all they all revolve around the same stuff take care of people be honest work hard provide a hell of an experience make great food i mean it's just all the same things um so, i can walk you through big girls if you want to yeah uh, so when we started um when you started going through and saying, wow, we could really kind of up our game on culture. We could be more definitive on who we are and what yeah. we are and what we stand for. Where did that start? What was that process like for you guys? And I will say Ben took us through all of your core values. Okay, cool. So we don't have to echo those again, but maybe we can, we can round that off with other elements of culture. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, it started when we were in a room with, uh, and we started the traction process and we had never, I had always thought core values were something that was on the dentist wall or the accounting firm's wall, you know? And so, <laughs> Didn't really understand it, um, jumped into it, and we started working. We, we, we followed the book pretty much word for word. We also had a, a leader for us in there. His name's Leighton, who helped guide us through the process. Um, and that, that's when it started getting real. What did he teach you? That, like, what, what was that process? Like, where did it start? I think it starts with you know, how you hire, how you fire, how you coach and encourage, how do you grow your people. And like I said, I mean, when it was one restaurant, we could just grit it and bear it and do it, you know, every single person all the time. And when the scaling started happening, it, it, we couldn't scale that part of it. And so we tried to figure out, hey, what, what is the secret sauce? Looked at Danny Meyer a lot. Looked at those leaders that are doing it. What, Navy SEALs. I mean, you can think of a hundred different examples. Um, but yeah, we wanted to push push what we feel to everybody else and make sure they feel it. Our team feels it. And hopefully that results in a better experience for them, which then just makes the experience for the customer even better. And I think that you start to see that synergy. And we're, we're finally hitting our stride with it at Big Grove. I think 30 Hop has a great culture. There's a lot of them that have a great culture. It just takes time. And I think it takes time to know how to use it. And I think that's the other part too. It's like everybody says you want to put the, put the, the, the values on the wall. It's like, okay, that's great. But how are you going to use it? How you know? do you use it? Well, that's a great question. Um, we do this practice called a five by five. Um, it's, it's part of traction, but it's, it's basically a check-in with your people and we start with uh, with the values, and we walk through, and it's like, hey, set the tone is a value that we value at Big Grove. How do you think you're doing on that? How's it going? Do you feel like you're setting the tone? Yeah. And then maybe they say no, maybe they say yes, and then you have a conversation about it. What it does, though, is open your eyes to what's important to the company. And this is how we're going to be moving people up and down in the organization. And I think once that becomes the way you talk about it and the way you use it, it changes the way people approach it. It becomes less of a joke and more of, hey, this actually does matter. And we want to surround ourselves with people that want to win. And we want you to be a part of that culture. And once they start believing in that, because you believe in it, then it changes. When it's on the wall and you don't talk about it and you don't make it real and you don't review it, that's when we run into the, it's just, that's a great value. Yeah. I roll. Uh, Mario Del Perro, uh, one, of the, the, one of the co-founders of Mendocino Farms. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. 
amazing organization. Uh, had him on the show a couple times. We, we, got, we started talking about this, and he pointed out, uh, if you look at every culture, when you think of the word culture in business, you think about, oh, like the woo-woo stuff, right? Yeah. But culture is something that allows civilizations to scale. And culture is something that we're only meant to coexist with no more than 150 relationships. The average person can only manage 150 relationships. And what makes people manage more than that is the fact that you can look at somebody, you know, that they have the same belief as you, that they're not a threat, that they believe the same thing, that they they have the same values and that, that they are like you and I don't have to be afraid of you. And that's how we, that's how civilization scaled. And religion has a big part in that too. Right. But it's this whole, this idea of we are the same. I can trust you because you are like me and that's what culture is. Uh, and that's what gets us going. But, um, so where I'm going with this is like you can't just put your culture on the wall. You just can't just put it on paper. You have to live it every day. And I was talking about Mauro Del Perro. Uh, he said that all these cultures that formed across the world, across everywhere, um, they all have rituals and they all have language. And you have to work rituals and language into your business. Uh, and that's what we're doing when we talk about these things in meetings every time. There's a trigger. It's a ritual. There's words we use. There's things we say that are us. And when you start working rituals and language, then it becomes almost cult-like where like, this is who we are. This is what we say. This is like, these are the, these are our prayers. These are our, our holidays. These are our events. This is us. This is what we do. And right. that's what culture is. That's where I was going with this. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, hundred percent. I mean, I think that we're, 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 I don't know what we're at out of 10 on that, but we're, we're trying to get there exactly what you described. It doesn't start 10 out of 10 from day one. It's no, it doesn't. I think, you know, we probably didn't even use them right for two years. You know, yeah. it takes time and it, it takes intense focus. So that's, that's something we're always working on. But I think that's the idea is like you look at these cultures from around the world and these things that they evolved to allow us to go coexist in lots of like in big numbers. And you say, how can we be a micro mini culture of people with beliefs and values and rituals and certain words we use to describe what we are? And that, that's kind of how you have to think. And it's hard to, to switch those gears and to get that external, you know, from the outside of looking in. But you guys sound like you're well on your way. Yeah. I mean, it feels like you're drinking the Kool-Aid sometimes. Yeah. But I like the Kool-Aid. It, but if it's, <laughs> it tastes good. But if it's your Kool-Aid, you know what I mean? It's yeah. your special brew, then... I think if you talk to our people, I think, you know, you're going to find that there's some that, that are all in. Yeah. I mean, know? it's hard to believe we're already a hundred or an hour and 22 minutes into this. Um, anything we did not talk about up to this point, I did want to talk about, you guys made the pivot to focus on hard seltzer. Was that a hard pivot for you? Or was yeah. It, very hard. What, what was, why was it worth it? Well, I think it's just a tough transition, especially when you have a brewery that likes to make beer, right? So pushing them into a new product is always an adventure. Um, so we, we made that choice. I mean, it just seemed like the market was going lighter. You know, people want lighter. They want to drink lighter. They want to feel lighter. What are they drinking? They're drinking hard seltzer. So we, we pushed, uh, we pushed our team into, to work on this, create a new product, but we didn't want to be the same product that everybody else is drinking. So yeah, difficult. Um, I think we, the results are great. It drinks really well. It's super smooth. A lot of challenges on, on literally how do you put it in a can? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of can should it go in? Um, where are we going to get those cans? This is in the middle of COVID. Yeah cans are gone so where are you gonna get those and so there's a whole saga of stories behind the seltzer but it's consumer behavior changing are people drinking less beer i think they're yeah beer's going down um spirits are up uh the rtd which is like what they would call that um is going uh, what does rtd stand for ready to drink okay so that'd be like your high noons uh yeah. squeeze got it stuff like that that's 
kind of leveling off, but it went exploded over five years. Yeah. But still, it's a huge part of the market. I mean, I think craft is, I don't know what the stats are current to today, but craft beer is around 10 to 12% and those are around eight to 10. Yeah. So they've, they, they went from zero, you know, five years ago. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. So what's driving this, do you think? I think it's just society. I think people want to be, they want to drink healthier and they want to, they want to live a little healthier and they think that that's a good product for them. And I think it is too. And I think it's lighter. It makes me feel light. I mean, I'm an IPA guy, so I always back into that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's not flavor of the month. I don't think these things are going anywhere. I think it's going to last for a really long time. And I think that people are going to, it was a, it was a kind of a, it was a Renaissance back to light. <laughs> so Craft beer went really heavy for a long time. And I think that you're going to sign that, hey, now lagers are really important. Now seltzer is really important. Now vodka is really important. Those things are going to start happening. It already happened. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what did we not talk about today that you would have loved to talk about? Something that you think you're uniquely set up to talk about? Well, it's restaurants. So you probably don't want to go too hard on the brewery stuff. But I well, mean, that's right. The transition. You mentioned that. Yeah. Earlier. I think Great. it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Let's get into it. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, what we what we faced... At Big Grove, when we scaled up, was that we went from a, a group that knew how to operate a restaurant to now we have a restaurant and a manufacturing facility in the same building, and so that's been a big learning curve. Yeah. So what was that? What was the biggest challenge for you in in scaling in mass production, not just serving people who are sitting in your space, to now bottling your product and taking it wholesale and across? So like, where can I get your beer now? Uh, everywhere in Iowa. Okay. So we're Iowa only. We're kind of trying to be. Iowa-based company. That may change in the future. I really don't know what the future holds, but right now it's Iowa. Kind of the mantra is go, go a mile deep and not a mile wide. You know, an inch, an inch that wide. That mantra is deep. what's happening here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I think you said it better. I was explaining to you like off air that I'm really trying to feed more people into the funnel, but take these amazing people that I'm coming across and say, what else you got? Like what else? And then like honing in and going deep on a topic. But why that approach? Well, I think it's just more real. I think that when you move outside of your market, let's just say, hey, we want to sell beer in Indiana. Well, that sounds great on paper and you could probably make a little bit of money, but I mean, how are you going to do it? How are you going to move it? How are you going to support it? How are you going to make money? And I think that once you start doing that, it, it becomes difficult. We also like the idea of being Iowa's brand. I yeah. think it's important for us. And I think that we believe in Iowa. We believe in what we're doing and we want to stay here. We want to make sure we fully build out the market before we even consider a move. And right now we're not considering it. Yeah. Uh, was it concentral, central, concentral, central circles? Or I can't concentric circles. Is that the yeah, one I'm yeah. yeah. Of growth where you start from the center and you just move out a little bit, a little bit. Is that where your, your approach is going to be? I think maybe without knowing it. Yeah. yeah. I, like that, I like that you gave me a term now though. That's good. <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, but really diving into like what for you personally, which part of the scale to, um, you know, literally like going to a becoming a production facility, what was the hardest part for you for that? Like, what's your advice for somebody who might be able to scale a product like you have? Yeah. I mean, yeah. What I would do is understand how the sales and distribution side works. That was something I was completely naive to, you know, you assume that, that, uh, things work one way and you find out it's a little bit different. And I think you could learn those lessons on the front side before you even jump in. Like what were the biggest lessons you learned that you wish you knew on the front side that you didn't take until you got that, like you dove in? Yeah. Selling beer is hard. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, it's not an easy job. And I think you got to have the right person to do it. And so we had Chad and Chad was a world-class salesman from our distributor that jumped on board with us. And uh, if we didn't have Chad, I don't think we'd be sitting here drinking beers together. <laughs> yeah. So what was it? Um, I mean, sales is hard, but what was the strategy that you worked out with him? Like what, what, how, what did he bring to the table aside from his natural scale 
or his natural uh, sales skill, did he bring knowledge to you? Did he tell you about the process of selling and how to go about doing it? Yeah. And then, you know, how the big accounts work, how you sell beer to Walmart. It's hard to do. Yeah. And we haven't done that till about two years ago. I mean, so it took us a long time to get involved with them. Where are you going to seed your beer at? Where do you want to have people trying it? And that game's changing too, even today. So how do you sell beer to Walmart? Through the corporate system. Uh, yeah. I mean, you got to work with Walmart and yeah. you know, you got to respect their process. They're a big player and yeah. it's a process and they, yeah. but they want to work with exciting brands. So yeah. you have to, you got to play by the rules and you got to make them happy. And so making them happy is, you know, fill out the forms, right? participate you yeah. know but i can see that being a big hassle for a lot of people yeah um what about back to the idea of business restaurant business um any of these other restaurants we talked about a lot of restaurants we didn't really get to pull back layers on tribute uh or tribune tribute tribute uh iowa athletic club um st birch tavern any big lessons from any of those experiences that did not come out that you think need to you know i i think i can't keep saying i think um i would just stress that having a great a great general manager, a great chef leader. It's just so important. Yeah. We, we wouldn't be able to do what we, we have done without having uh, just great leaders on the ground. And I think that the more you mentor and work with those leaders, the more successful you're going to be. And I think the mentoring is from everything on how you deal with customers, to your team, to your services, to the finances. Um, there's just a lot. There's a lot to be gained there. Yeah. So the evolution we've, we've gotten, we're now present day in your timeline as far as talking about your story and where you are and what's been going on. Uh, one thing I really want Restaurant Unstoppable to focus on, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. You've absolutely inspired us. You've empowered us with your knowledge. Let's talk about transformation. How, in your opinion, does the industry need to transform? Like, What are we doing now that we could be doing much better to make a better industry for everybody? That's a great question. Um, well, I'm sure there's a lot we could do better. Yeah. <laughs> you know? In your mind, the first thing, like what's one thing that you think the industry just is kind of falls short on. Um, and if we're going to transform the industry, if we're going to move in the right direction, what are the things that we can do to starting today at, collectively as an industry? What's broken? I think a pretty obvious one is that there's a, there's a pretty significant pay gap between the front and the back house. Okay. And how are we going to fix that? That's a great question. Um, I wonder how much people will pay for food. Yeah. I think that that's an unanswered question right now. And we're, we're, we're going into territory that we've never gone into before with inflation, right? Right. Literally every day we're talking about pricing where we're at. I think that, uh, there's a, there's a limit there and I don't know what it is. I think people want the experience and I think we're going to provide that experience, but what does it lead to? And will people buy a $20 burger? I will in Chicago. Will in Iowa city. I think those are hard questions to answer right now. Yeah. So I had Patrick Whalen from um, the Fifth Street Group. Uh, I think they're based out of Charleston, but they have restaurants in Nash, Nashville, all throughout the Southwest. Or sorry, Southeast. Uh, they're just recently. He said the same exact thing as you. There's an issue with the wage disparity disparity between front and back of house. There's a gap there. Uh, what they started to do is a program where they tip the kitchen, where they literally give the consumer an option to tip the kitchen on every card. Uh, what do, what do you think of that? Do you see any concerns with that? Problems that people might have? I think it's really interesting. Yeah. I, I'll share the episode with you. It was really interesting. Yeah. Thanks. Um, anything else? No, I, I just, I think it's amazing. You came to Iowa city. Thanks yeah, for, man. thanks well, for making the effort and I being guess, here. I got to thank Savannah and Sam. They're, they're off camera right now sitting over here. I've been collaborating with Sav and Sam.com. Uh, they've been extremely helpful with the videography, the social media. And they said, you got to come to Iowa. And I said, 
I will help me connect with some people. And they've been lining up bangers, man. I'm so happy I did come here. You guys are Good. killing it. Uh, so on that idea of inspire, empower, and transform the industry, um, how have you transformed personally? What's your transformation been? I think just waking up and realizing what we're doing and what we've done. I think being aware and and respecting that and and making sure you don't lose sight of what 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 took us here, you know, and getting back to the basics a little bit. I don't know if that's a transformation, but trying to stay focused. Yeah. You know, I think when I'm focused that and I'm sense. on, it works. Yeah. I love when that. I'm not focused, things start to slip and I it's not just like I'm the the end all be all fixing guy, but it just feels like that's what happens. And so just staying on top of it, I think that's got to be my evolution is just don't, don't lose track of it. Protect the engine. As I told you earlier, Yeah, man. never let that thing run out of gas. I love it. Uh, one more quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to bust out a true speed round. Today's episode is brought to you by Margin Edge, a software platform for restaurant people by restaurant people. To be successful in the modern age, you need to be efficient by streamlining your processes and creating automation. Simply put, Margin Edge means data streamlined and insights automated. With Margin Edge, you can track food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. And who likes data entry? No one. So you'll be thrilled to hear that there's no more data entry with Margin Edge. They will save your team hours and paperwork by automating your invoice processing with line item detail. Don't worry about the integration either because Margin Edge allows you to seamlessly connect your POS and accounting systems and get a daily P&L. On top of all of this, Margin Edge enables you to digitally manage your inventory and recipes. Plus, you can compare actual costs versus theoretical costs. Find out why over 3,100 restaurants are thrilled to be using Margin Edge. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your free demo. And when you use that link, you can try Margin Edge for free for 30 days. There's no contract. There's no setup fee. Plus, you get free unlimited training and support. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. One more time, marginedge.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering. This is because Chow Now helps restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. Here's how it works. Chow Now clients get listed on the free Chow Now marketplace. Once they're there, they can meet new customers and take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site. There is no setup fee or monthly payment. Now, this is what I really love about Chow Now. You get access to valuable customer data, which allows you to personalize the experience and the relationship with your guests. In other words, you own the relationship with your guests, something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And we cannot wrap up this message without telling you about how to level up with Chow Now Direct. Chow Now Direct is Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. With Chow Now Direct, you get your own branded ordering app for iPhone or Android, email and print marketing, plus POS integration and much more. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up at www.chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. 
All right, we're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I think I'm good at saying yes. Uh, not maybe yes to projects, but yes to getting things done. Yes to figuring out solutions and not, not taking a yeah, but you know, answer. I believe there's always a way to fix problems. There's always a way to do something that's going to make it better. Might not be the perfect thing, but it's an answer of yes. Yes. I love it. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? Details. I'm not very good at details. Neither am I. And I, I sometimes I get a lot of guilt around that because I feel like everyone says you got to be de- detail oriented. So how do you compensate? I have an assistant. Yeah. She's very detailed. So she helps me. But uh, no, I. it's tough. It's tough to compensate for that. I think you just, like I said, focus. Yeah. What's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? I look for energy. Um, we talked about it earlier. I look for energy, um, some spark, uh, some light. I, I want people to feel, I want them to feel bright and friendly and fun. And if I'm not feeling that, it's pretty hard to coach it in. What's your biggest challenge today? Staffing. How are you overcoming it? Uh, culture. Yeah. Working hard on the culture stuff, working hard on recruiting. A lot of people come to me and they say, hey, Eric, where do I go to find staff? And I'm like, specifically what tools and like what services are out there. Have you had any luck with those services? We use all the ones everybody else does. I think it's, it ebbs and flows, which ones are successful and not successful. We definitely fund them. Yeah. So that helps out. We're fast. I say that don't be slow. That'd be my best advice. If somebody calls you or drops an app off or emails you, I'd respond in 30 seconds. Like, don't let it go. I mean, they're just going to go to the, they go to the next restaurant. They're going to hire them. Yeah. So, if you don't see that, then you're not seeing clearly. Yeah, I, I sometimes wonder if those services are even worth it right now. Like, I think you're better off just getting involved and finding people and, and like, like literally go mining for it. Yeah, the mining is, is where it's at. And if you can get friends of the people that work here to work here, that's a home run. Yeah. And we live in a college community, so that might be a little bit easier than like a big city. Yeah. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team, a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Well, we talked about practicing candor and that's definitely one that I push hard. Um, and I try to talk about its relationship to rapid improvement and getting better really fast. So open and honest feedback with care, the goal of getting better really fast. Yeah. I have communication as one of my core values. You're both you and Ben are really having me consider changing that to candor because I feel like it's the same thing. Not everybody knows what candor means, but yeah, yeah. once you explain it, it makes sense. Yeah. But it's much more specific. Yeah. You know, uh, Share one uncommon standard of service you teach your staff. So something that's common with the four, within the four walls of your restaurants, not common throughout the industry. Uh, we, we, oh man, I'll give you two things. We push, we push uh, ex, the experience like in the building, the atmosphere, music, lighting, uh, temperature, energy, like all that is very important. So we're pushing that all the time. And then I talk a lot about you really need to respect the customer that comes in because they had a 300 choices and they picked us. I call it winning the lottery. We won the lottery. And if we aren't enthusiastic and excited to see that person because they chose us, we have a big problem. Yeah. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? The book uh, that I would recommend is the culture code. Mm, you and Ben on the gosh, culture did code. you do that one? Okay. <laughs> not the culture code. Uh, no, I, I would recommend if you want to go past the culture code, a book that I, I love, and if you really want to teach a, that extreme uh, ownership kind of killer mentality, is the book called Extreme Ownership by Jocko. That's fantastic. Um, and the other one, if you want a personal one, is Atomic Habits. That's one that'll keep you dialed in. 
I love Atomic Habits. Yeah, me too. Um, I started a habits club because of it. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, so basically what we do is we just, we hold, we help hold each other accountable to our new habits. And we also teach the power of habit and like lessons from that book. So it's so powerful. I don't need to get into detail, but if you guys are interested in being a part of the habits club, uh, email me, Eric at restaurantstoppable.com. I'll, I'll tell you how to get in. Uh, what's one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough. Hmm. I, I think this is what I've been thinking about a lot is just, is be present, be on the floor and see what's going on with your customers. Um, especially if you're talking about people that have multiple units. It's really easy to sit in the office. I do it all the time and not know what's really happening in your restaurant. And I would challenge people to go down there and literally see what does it look like at seven o'clock. If you're not seeing the seven o'clock, you might not be seeing what's going on. What's one service you've hired or outsourced. So not necessarily a technology, but a service that people do better than you could ever do in house. So it makes makes sense to outsource. Uh, I, mean, I would go with, I would go with our scheduling platforms. I think they're pretty magical. Uh, Seven shifts or hot schedules. Okay. They, just, they worked really great. And then yeah. it takes a lot of the, the manager interaction out of it. So the next question is what's one technology you've recently Busted. adopted? Yeah. So that might be, <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know what, whatever we'll let you, we'll, we'll okay. give you a, a one for both answers here. Uh, so we'll go with seven shifts with the technology as well. What is it about seven shifts? I just think the connectivity to the POS system and then the way that it interacts with our team. I just think that anything that can create connection with the team, on scheduling, which is the hardest part half the time, is a big deal. So how does it help you connect with the team and how does it connect with the POS? Well, the managers will be able to tell you a little better than I would, but I just think the idea of it, if it integrates our, our forecasting, which is a huge part of what we're, pre- we're preaching now. And if you had talked about systems earlier, what's a system that we're doing now that we weren't before? We're forecasting everything and trying to get numbers that are tighter. And so when you have a scheduling system that can pump out a number, that's valuable. Yeah. Um, so what about, how does that work with toasts? How does... Because uh, I know it's toast because Ben mentioned toast. Yeah. So what what is it that it does with toast that makes it really powerful? It, it can. My understanding, and I don't want to speak out of turn here, so correct me if I'm wrong. But it it does. It just syncs it all together, okay. and so that's that's a big deal. Got it. Got it. Um. So this well, is, rather than have one thing running independent and then another thing running independent, it's running together. Yeah. And I think it's that's talking a, in the it's back a huge deal. Yeah. Transferring data. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is the last question. It's a doozy. Keep your ears open. You ready for it? Yep. All right. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three wisdom, three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Well, we did the preparing. Not preparing is preparing to fail. That's yeah. that's a good piece one. of wisdom. That's from my that's from my mom. I had to go with that one. Uh, the second one would be take the time take the time to, to, to know the people and interact with them and make sure that they know that, you know, Two. practice candor. Practice <laughs> yeah, candor. Yeah, it matters. I love it, man. This has been such a great conversation. I've really, truly enjoyed speaking to both you and Ben. You guys are doing amazing things here in Iowa. Thank you so much for making time for us. Uh, who do you respect and admire? And you found out this person was a guest on the show today or tomorrow like you'd be tuning into that episode to hear what they have to say yeah so there's 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 a lot i think locally i'm obviously you know i'm pretty excited about my partners uh, i've already met i already mentioned a few but i think eric and brian would be great ones to talk to oh, um and then i think as a group one that i'm really interested in is a group called ford fry down in atlanta and i think they do amazing work and they're scaling big ford fry yeah 
like the like Ford pickup truck and Fry like Fry later F R Y yeah. Ford Fry. Look out, guys! I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. Yeah. And uh, if we've been inspired by what you guys got going on here in Iowa, how can we connect? Maybe we want to come join your team. Oh, lovely! Let's join the team. Everybody, <laughs> yeah. join the team. Uh, email me, I guess, if you want to just do it. You want to cut out the middleman? Yeah, uh, no, no, you don't have to wait the. Yeah, to be so quick on the reply. Exactly, <laughs> uh, Matt at BigCrowPrairie Yeah, awesome. shoot me an email. Thank you so much. There is no question, my man, Matt. You are unstoppable. All right, thanks so much. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Matt Swift, for coming on and sharing your perspective on uh, the EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. And that's a, a little segue off of the book Traction. They have a, a new book called What the Heck is EOS? And I think it's so important to have a language that you use regularly within your organization. And as you're bringing new people on, Every culture across the country, across the world has its own language and your business needs to have its own language too. We need to be using words that have a definitive meaning. And I think this is just one part of communication that cannot be understated. And I think the other big thing for me in today's episode is radical candor. I want to dive deep into this idea of radical candor and maybe get somebody on the show to talk about the significance and the power of radical candor. Again, thank you so much, Matt Swift, for coming on the show and uh, awesome stuff. So uh, as you're listening to this, I am on my way to Toronto. Last week, I kind of made the uh, last-minute choice to drive to Toronto to interview Matt Rolf, the author of You Can't Do It Alone. Uh, I just started diving into his book, and I was like, you know, man, I resonate with this guy, and I, I'm sick of doing these remote interviews. There's nothing that's better than an in-person, deep-dive, intimate conversation. So I'm going to make the, the nine-hour trip out there. If you're in Toronto, if there's somebody you want me to interview in Toronto, it might not be too late. Let me know. Shoot me an email, eric at restaurantstoppable.com. Let me know if you want to connect while I'm out there and uh, give me your recommendations. Uh, and um, I think that's it for today. I, I, I cannot forget to say a special thanks to savandsam.com for uh, helping me out in these past couple road trips and for being so generous with your network in Iowa. We're trying to do every interview in the future in person. And uh, hopefully I can have this video crew with me and helping me out with the social media. And you guys can make that possible. Share this podcast with everybody and anybody you know that is aspiring to be great in the industry. Use our sponsors. Use our affiliate links. Uh, come join Restaurant Stoppable Network and you can be a part of uh, helping us take this thing to the next level. Oh, and I can't wrap it up without saying special thanks to Samadre Podcasts, Jared, for helping me edit this podcast and uh, with all the help he does in the back end. Thank you so much, dude. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.